Good morning. So great to be here with you today. You know, leadership at Pulpit Rock has been so generous with the pulpit this summer, haven't they been? I think that's a pretty rare, beautiful thing. So thank you, leadership here, for giving me an opportunity to share today this question. As I walk with God, what has he been teaching me? And you know, when I was asked this at the beginning of the summer to start preparing for this, I really wrestled because I think the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I recognize that there is still a lot to learn. But the thing I kept coming back to was this single truth that has been the most transformative thing, the most transformative reality of my life in the last two years. And before I tell you what it is, and it's very simple, because that is the way of Jesus, right? It's simple. But before I tell you what it is, I want to give you the backstory of what led me to understand how much I needed to learn this. So about two years ago, I was just very honestly in a really unhealthy place. 
I was in the throes of raising three teens and tweens. I was working full time. My husband was traveling. I was doing international travel. We were navigating staffing conflicts and curveballs internationally. And it felt like we were in this place where every step forward was not being blessed from heaven with a light and ease. It was like this brutal claw forward. And I knew how important our work was because I got to hear firsthand the stories. I got to hear about the 12-year-old who would be hurt tonight if we didn't do something to fix it. That was the assumption that I was making. There's a real reality, and my work is going to have a direct impact in the darkest corners of the world. And that belief drove me to get onto this gerbil wheel. And it was this gerbil wheel of activity and doing and obeying. This gerbil wheel of learning and trying to figure things out. And what the gerbil wheel led me to was actually a really unhealthy place where I started to see the results of the frantic activity for God in my life, and actually in every corner of my life. I wasn't exercising. My hair literally started falling out because of the stress I was under. Hard work conversations made their way into every dinner room dinner conversation with my kids. I picked up my phone the first thing in the morning and I incessantly checked emails and social media and Slack messages. And I was living this frenzied life. And there's a story that came out, actually a movie was made from it as well a couple years ago about a little girl in Texas who actually fell into a hollow tree. And I have a picture of that tree. That tree in the middle, the tall one, is the cottonwood. And she actually fell right into the middle of it and then was trapped inside. From the outside, it looked just like all the other trees, but inside it was actually decayed and there was nothing on the inside. And as I studied for today, I learned that this is actually not that unusual of a phenomenon. It's called tree hollow. And it happens when there is stress or disease in a tree, and then water gets in it, and then bacteria grows. And slowly, over time, the inside of the tree begins to decay, and it actually rots and decays from the center out so that on the outside, the tree could look just fine, but on the inside, it could actually be really, really sick. And two years ago, I was the hollow tree. My gerbil wheel of frantic activity for God, for others, for freedom, was actually this prison <laughs> that I was building for myself. And it's ironic, right? Because my whole life, my whole job, my whole career has been about trying to facilitate freedom for modern day slaves. And here I was building a prison by my own hands. My gerbil wheel 
had led to the hollowing of my own tree. And so about two years ago, I recognized that I needed help, and I reached out to a spiritual director. I found one locally. And one of the first things, one of the first questions that she asked me was this. I was telling her about how I was going to fix myself because I knew I wasn't in a healthy place and I was going to start exercising. And while I was exercising, I was going to listen to podcasts about leadership because I knew that I obviously needed some help. And she stopped me right there and she said, well, um, do you ever run and just listen? (laughs) No. (laughs) Lady, I have 25 minutes to get this exercise in. I need to multitask. I didn't say that out loud to her, of course, but in my head, I thought, I, nobody has time for that. And then she said, it seems like you're not really trusting or recognizing the voice of your own soul or the voice of God in your life. And again, internally, I'm thinking, surely that is not the diagnosis to this problem. It has to be more complicated than that. But outwardly, because I do love a good performance, I said, oh yes, that's very insightful. Thank you, that must be it. But what I actually learned over the course of two years is that what she said was actually really, really true. I actually had no idea how to actually listen to God. I was so busy doing that I had very little time or space to hear what he was actually telling me. And so, the single most transformative thing that I've learned in the last few years walking with Jesus is this, that listening is actually everything. So, we're gonna start with a story of Jesus. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to... Let's see if we have it on the screen. Sorry, talking. To Mark 1, 35 to 39. Or you can read it on the screen. The story is very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus said, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So here is the scene with Jesus. He had just started his public ministry. A verse back, it talks about how he was going around and healing people. It says, verse 34, then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons, and he didn't allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So in this time, in Jesus' day, there was no Mayo Clinic. People had no options to heal deformities or sickness or leprosy. So once word got out that there was a healer, it would have been a frenzied mob of need. In another gospel, people are so desperate to get to Jesus, right, that they break a hole in the roof. And Jesus, God himself, in the midst of all of this frenzied need, goes off by himself to pray, to connect with God, to listen. And the text says that Simon and the other disciples start looking for him, and they don't wait for him to wrap up his devotional time and come back. They go find him and interrupt. That sounds a lot like normal life, doesn't it? 
But they're like agents with the movie star. Jesus, Jesus, people are waiting. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And Jesus' response here is so unexpected, isn't it? He just spent intentional time listening to the Father, and he completely ignores the pressure the disciples are putting on him. He does not even give them a response to what they have just asked him to do. He doesn't explain or defend or take a vote or ask how badly the people really need him or how many people are waiting for his help. Instead, he says, let's go to the next town because I need to preach there. This is the purpose I've come. Jesus walked away from intense need, meeting intense needs. He spent time listening to the Father. And then he was able to step out of that time and operate with extreme clarity. His time with the Father allowed him to carry the things that he was supposed to carry and not pick up the things that were not his to carry at that moment in that time. And you guys know, Jesus, he does this again and again and again. He has this pattern of stepping away into the quiet, connected place with God the Father. He does this after the multiplication of five loaves and two fish, immediately before choosing his 12 disciples, before Peter's profession of faith that Jesus is Christ, immediately before the transfiguration, before the Lord's prayer, and before the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane. Again and again and again, Jesus pulls back to listen. And I think perhaps this would not have been a strange pattern for the disciples because they were living and operating in a culture where listening was understood and valued at a cellular level. We're going to take a quick side road and then we're going to come back to the main point. So stick with me on the side road. The side road has to do with the word obedience. When we think about obedience, what do we think of? Immediately in your mind, in our Western modern context, we think obedience means following orders, means doing exactly what the authority tells us to do, following the rules, right? I grew up with trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We grew up with this idea of obedience. If you look in the Old Testament, though, and this is fascinating. I've just learned this in studying for this morning. If you look in the Old Testament, the word obey is actually used about 130 times. Here's some examples. Genesis, because you've obeyed my voice. Jeremiah, the people did not obey. Judges, in obeying their fathers. Jeremiah 27, did not obey. Samuel, I did obey the Lord. So the word obey is used again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. But the interesting thing is this, the word obey does not actually exist in the ancient Hebrew language. What? In English, we have about 100,000 words. In the ancient Hebrew language, there are only about 8,000, which means that each word in our translated scripture has to carry a lot of weight and a lot of meaning. Now, later, the Hebrew language did develop the word obey, 
because they needed a word to describe how soldiers were to behave when they were serving in an army. That was actually when the word obey developed. But prior to that, in the time of the Old Testament, the word obey didn't actually exist. Instead, the word was shema, and it means to listen. Sit with that a minute. The word obey is not actually in the ancient Hebrew text. Instead, it is the word Shema. And the word Shema means to listen closely and carefully, to understand with the assumption of subsequent yielding or doing. So there is an obedience or a following component to this word to listen, right? It's that last part of it. The assumption of subsequent yielding or doing. And the ancient Hebrews so believed in this word that they actually have a prayer. It's their most, um, most famous liturgical prayer. And it's called, it's titled the Shema. And it begins with, hear, O Israel. I'm going to show you a quick clip of a rabbi reciting the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. So it's interesting because one of the traditions that was developed is that they would cover their eyes with their right hand as they would repeat the Shema. And you'll see on the screen a picture of women today doing that as they're covering their eyes and they're repeating the Shema. And it's this idea that to listen to God, you need concentration, right? And that's why we close our eyes, right, when we pray. The idea is let us cover our eyes so that we can fully concentrate on what we're saying. But it's interesting because modern rabbis say there could be another reason for covering their eyes as they pray, and it's this. It's because they understand that it would be difficult to practice complete faith and focus on God while looking at the pain of the world around them. Isn't that true? It is difficult to practice complete faith in God when you are eyeball to eyeball with the pain in the world around you. And so Jesus came on the scene and he was living and teaching in a culture that understood what it meant to listen that understood that a component of following God was first to listen and then to obey. And I think that as I have reevaluated my own life over the last two years, as I reevaluated my unhealthy, frantic activity, I have learned that the, the, the script flipped 
when I began to focus first on relational listening instead of rote obedience. And this has to come first to empower this. And so I'm going to spend the next 10 minutes giving you all four practical ways over the last two years that I have learned how to foster this quiet, listening, contemplative lifestyle. I am still a baby at it, but these really simple practices have been transformative to me, and I hope that they are to you too. So feel free to take your phones out, take pictures of the screens, um, and I would just challenge you to try to find at least one of them that you could incorporate in your life this week. Okay, the first one is called Centering Prayer. It was made famous by Thomas Merton. It's a practice of silence. So ultimately, if you're a ninja at this, you could do this for 20 minutes. I can do it for about five, and I have to set a timer. But the idea is that before you practice the Centering Prayer, you choose what he calls a sacred word. And it's a word that means something to you. It can either be a word of God, like, or name of God, like Abba, Father, Spirit, Jesus. Or it can be a state word, like peace, love, be still. And the idea is that you sit in the presence of God in quiet, And you try to just bask in his presence. And whenever you have a distracting thought, you repeat your sacred word to bring you back to quiet. You can cover eyes. You can cover your eyes if you want to. It would look something like this. Oh man, I gotta pick up the Safeway order. Abba. Is my husband mad at me? Abba. That's what it looks like. And the idea here, again, is how do you get yourself in a place where you're stepping out of the gerbil wheel frenzy that is our modern American life, and you foster this attitude of quiet listening? So, Centering Prayer, Thomas Merton. Second practical practice is also very fancy. It's called the car prayer. And I made it up, so it's not as cool as Thomas Merton's prayer. But it's called the car prayer, okay? And very practically, what I recognized about two years ago is I recognized that after my time in the morning, I had literally two eight-minute pieces of time in my day that I had by myself. Because of my life and because of my responsibilities, two eight-minute times. One was after kid drop-off, in the car, on the way to work, and one was leaving work and going back to pick up the kids. Those are my eight-minute sections of time. And what I was doing is I was actually treating my car time as an extension of my office time. My car time was actually uh, a time to listen to messages, do Voxers, listen to that leadership podcast so I could try to fix things. And I recognized that what that was doing in my soul is it was leaving noise, fostering noise, and then arriving to noise all the time. (laughs) And I had no transition to assess what was happening and prepare for whatever was next. And so I developed this very simple practice that I call the car prayer. And I asked myself these three questions. First, what am I feeling? That may sound simple, 
But if you're operating in gerbil wheel mode, sometimes you just literally do not even know what you, you, you yourself are feeling. <laughs> so I ask myself, what am I feeling? And I just wait in the silence and I don't judge myself for whatever word or memories come to mind that day. Number two, what am I grateful for? I turn my attention and I try to spend a few minutes quietly thanking God for the gifts in my life that were present to me in that day. And then three, what's my intention next? And this is, has been really helpful for me because an intention is when you set your mind and your will on what you want to happen. And I really ask God that. That's really where me and Jesus start to talk. What's my intention next with the people and the place that I'm going? What do I want? What do you want, God, from me? And sometimes I will get very... Sometimes I'll get nothing, I'll be honest. Sometimes I'm just like, I forgot the Safeway order. <laughs> but sometimes I'll get really specific things, like put your phone down when you walk in the house, and then I have a choice to obey when I do that, or pay attention to this kid. So that's my simple practice of the car prayer. <laughs> Maybe write that down and use that, especially if you have those moments in the car where you're by yourself. All right, third prayer developed by a Jesuit monk, St. Ignatius, and it's called the Examine. Now, this is a whole list of questions, and if you're interested, you should totally Google it because um, it's an excellent practice to do towards the end of any day, especially if you're a journal writer. If you can take just 10 minutes after dinner, lock yourself in the closet, and just spend a few moments processing with God these questions. It's excellent. These are my simple questions that I can remember. St. Ignatius actually has a longer list and they're beautiful. But for my purposes, because I'm an infant in this, um, I boiled it down to these three questions. How did God move towards me today? What were the moments? And I asked God to help me remember the specific moments where I felt God was moving towards me today a conversation with a coworker that was positive, or time sitting under a tree. Number two, how did I move away from God? What were the moments? What were the moments that I chose to gossip, that I chose to operate in fear, that I chose to respond too quickly? And then number three, what do I need to confess or address with him, with God? What are the specific things in my relationship with Jesus that I need to pay attention to, most of the time based on the answers to one and two. So that prayer, the examine, is excellent. I highly recommend doing some research and spending some time practicing that. All right, the fourth practice that I have found transformative has shown up in this book. Now, this is an example of when you don't see or pay attention to the sizing of stuff that you order off Amazon. Because this is a giant journal. This looks like it came straight out of Lord of the Rings, and I did not mean it to come that way, but now we're stuck with it because, you know. Anyway, so it's big, and that's okay because I have big handwriting. So one of the things I started practicing last year was this. I started writing this question. Your servant is listening. What do you want to say to me today? That's a pretty simple question. Your servant is listening. 
What do you want to say to me today? Sometimes I will also write specific questions like, Here's a, here are two roads in front of me. Which one should I choose, A or B? I have the actual names of what the decision is, but I'm just saying, for example. And what I have found, and I could show you this if I opened it and showed you page after page after page. As I wait and I listen, and then I just write down what my soul hears the Spirit say. What I have found is that 99% of the time, the first thing that he says to me that I write down after this question is something like, you are so loved. I am wild about you today. I am so proud of you. You are my beloved. And that's transformation, right? When we listen to God and we find out over practice that actually what he's wanted to tell us all along is not how to more effectively run on a gerbil wheel. He actually doesn't care about that. What he actually cares about is having us be quiet enough to listen that he actually adores us. And there are a lot of other practices to practice this lifestyle of listening. A Sabbath day of rest, a silent hike, Lecto Divina, which is this beautiful practice of letting, meditating on Scripture and letting Scripture speak to you and listening to God's Word. But I will say this. In two years of practicing listening, I have found that I am a lot slower to jump into things that are not mine to jump into. I have found that I have a lot more grounding, a lot more centeredness. I have found that I, I don't get rattled. I don't get sent into a panic as much when the curveballs come. And I found that my tree, in the midst of all the other trees, might actually look shorter, but it is no longer hollow. You know, Jesus said that he was our good shepherd. And he said, my sheep, they follow me because they hear my voice and they recognize my voice and they follow me. And I've learned recently that shepherds in ancient times, they actually were communities and several shepherds would come together at night and they would put all of their sheep into one pen to protect them from predators at night. And the shepherds would go and they would have their campfire and they would eat. And then the next morning they would wake up and they would open up the gate to the pen and they would call for their sheep. Certain sheep belong to certain shepherds. And I don't know if you've seen sheep, but they all look pretty much the same. And there was no brand or no like little ear tag thing. But what would happen is each shepherd would go to the gate of this collective pen and each shepherd calls for his sheep. And that's all. 
the sheep needed. They were able to recognize the voice of their shepherd, and they were able to follow. And you, you, we can't follow Jesus unless we recognize his voice. And we can't recognize his voice unless we spend time listening to it. And I think as I think about how God has shown up for me, how he has led me in the last two years, that's what I would leave you with today. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, this is who the Lord wants. This is who the Lord is looking for. Not someone who has it all together, not someone who charges the darkness, not someone who accomplishes a lot, not someone who's a perfect mother or father, not someone who knows all the theology. He says, this is what I'm looking for. A person plain and simple, reverently responsive to what I say. So as we close our time together, I want to invite you to listen. I want to invite you to quiet your heart as the team plays some soft music. And ask God one of those questions on the screen. Or don't ask him anything and just let him say what he wants to you. Trust that he will show up. And cover your eyes if you have to. Because the world is very distracting and there is a lot of pain in it. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the good shepherd. Speak, for your servants are listening. 